John chapter 17. We will continue our uh, our series there. Are we? Yeah, there we are. We're all set. John chapter 17. It's been great to study through this uh, this section of text the last three or so weeks uh, to to be able to to see and hear the heart of Jesus as he's sharing uh, uh, and praying about what's on his heart. And uh, it has been great to be able to to to, uh, to, to look at those things. You know, it, uh, the three of the main portions of this prayer that he talks about, uh, truth, he, he desired truth. In verse 3, uh, this is eternal life, that they know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And Verse 8, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Verse 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. There was this focus on truth, which is vital to our lives, because you build anything that's not based on truth. And he also talks about uh, holiness. He, of course, is the example of holiness, that he and the Father are one in holiness, and and, and this sanctification uh, that, that we are all growing more and more holy as we draw nearer and nearer to God. He talks about that uh, again in verse 17, as I just mentioned in verse 19. For, for their sake I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. This continual growth and sanctification. And then, and then he talks about mission. Uh, we actually see mission. He doesn't, doesn't just uh, talk about it uh, in the text we're looking in in verse 20. In verse 8, we see uh, Jesus passed on the truth to his followers. And in verse 12, that all were given by God and only Judas was lost. This idea of, of God had provided them. And, and, and Jesus, uh, keep in mind that Jesus here is preparing for his departure. And he's preparing his, his disciples so that they can go and continue his work, which is exactly why you and I are here. And then he prays this prayer, the last part of the prayer. He prays several other things uh, in, in, in the prayer, but those are the three uh, that I see as the main things. But the, but the fourth thing is the one that wraps it all up. And we're going to start in verse 20 of John, um, here in John 17, verse 20. It says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of may be one, Father, just as you are in me, I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to so let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, it is great to be able to come together and worship you. Father, we're so encouraged to see the good news out of India, but we know that's all possible because of your power and your work. 
your, your willingness to send your son to die so that we could live so that we could live in a way that brings glory to your son and to you. I pray, God, that today we would have a great time studying the scriptures and that our hearts would be moved and inspired and excited about the opportunity we have that is unique from the rest of the world. And God, I pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Lucy demands that Linus change the TV channels, threatening him with her fist if he didn't. What makes you think you can walk in here and take over, asked Linus. These five fingers, says Lucy. Individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Which channel do you want, asked Linus. Turning away, he looks at his fingers and says, why can't you guys get organized like that? One simple point today, be one. That was Jesus' prayer. Be one. There was, there was, there's a reason that Jesus saved it to the end. I believe it was because he understood that everything else centers on this central idea that if we are united, as he and the Father are united, the ministry stops. Jesus' prayer, as unified and one, as Jesus and the Father are unified, are, are one. I, I, I don't know, I can't even begin to give you some sort of a visual or something to describe that oneness. But that, that idea, that word one, you'd like to think that there's some deep, meaningful Greek uh, origination. No, it just means one. It's singular. It's simple, and it's simple on purpose. There's no special meaning, uh, it, it's, but it's exactly what we desire people to see when they walk in these doors. That when they see us, though we have different shades of skin, though we come from different parts of the world, that they look at us and they say, wow, this is something special and must be from God because I've never seen anything like it. That people from, from all walks of life can worship together not, and sit together and hold hands when they pray and, and, and be and sit and have meals and, and be friends and, and share our sins with each other. That it's that level of oneness. Let me tell you what we get to have in Christ is a special thing. But without unity, we have no mission. It will be impossible. Because it's affected in ways we might never understand. Without unity, it's impossible to be holy and live set-apart lives. Without unity, the truth will be forever off in the distance of our lives. Always just out of reach. And what fills in the gaps when there is no truth? The lies of Satan fill in the gaps. Like Lucy's fingers. Individually, we are not much. I'll speak for myself. 
By myself, I am not much. But together, collectively, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we are a wrecking ball to Satan's plan. You are part of God's special forces if you are following Jesus today. And you understand how important it is that we work together and not work on kind of doing our own thing. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. We are God's all-stars as followers of Jesus. We have a chance to make a difference in the world. Everybody wants to do something special. You, you, people want to take up causes. They want to, they want to save the whales and, and save the donkeys and, and save. No, they had a campaign. I'm not kidding you. It was a commercial on television in England, Save the Donkeys. And it showed this awful donkey being tied up by a chain. Made you want to send a text and send them some money. Save the donkeys. Save. And, man, people are passionate about it. When we were in the Navy, you'd have to have, you'd have to watch out for the Greenpeace uh, activists who would roll up in their boats trying to board, board ships and submarines. They would try that. You would have to go up, you know, I never had to do it and deal with it, but you heard stories about, they would try, because they were so against nuclear power, you know. Which, I'm not saying that these things are not important, okay? But they're not, they're, they're not uniting. They're not, they're, 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 a, they're an important thing, but they have, they, they end when you die. They're over. And you could have saved all the donkeys you wanted to while you were alive. But let me tell you, when you're gone, the donkeys might go too. But in Christ, in Christ, it's something special because it has eternal impact. And I think if I asked everyone here to raise your hand if you want to make an eternal impact, I would trust you would all raise your hand. I'm not going to put you under pressure to have you actually raise your hand. Because I don't want you to not, you know, to just follow the crowd. But that's that's what we desire. We want to do something special. Satan knows if he can pull us apart, the impact we have on the world will be minuscule, if at all. I want to show you a video that uh, from a disciple in uh, in Minneapolis. Yes, the second one. Here we go. Hey, I'm Michael Burns, author and biblical speaker. My wife and I travel all across the world, speaking on culture, race, diversity, and the kingdom of God. Did you know that about 90% of all churches in the United States are one ethnic or racial group? It's no wonder that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that Sunday at 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour of the week. Do you believe that Jesus can gather all the people groups of your community into one family? I've seen it in my church, and it's amazing. Here are three things that I learned from the Bible that I want you to consider. In the 20th and even into the 21st century, many churches embraced what's called the homogenous unit principle, which says that a church should find one target audience and cater to the needs of that specific group. Statistically, Churches that appeal to one culture will gain more members quickly, but God's plan has always been to have a church that consists of every tribe, language, people group, and nation. 
In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says God created mankind in his own image. We are created to be God's image bearers, to represent his will as a unified humanity. Now, God made us with differences, but we've taken those differences and turned them into divisions. By Genesis chapter 12, humans have rebelled against God and divided into tribes and nations. But throughout the Old Testament, God has a plan to unite all the nations once again as his one people. And he brings that promise through his one man, Abraham. And we see this great promise affirmed over and over again throughout the Old Testament. For example, in Isaiah 66, verse 18, God says he will gather the people of all nations. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, that when God gave this promise to Abraham, he actually announced the gospel in advance. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus commands his followers to go make disciples of all nations. Notice he doesn't just say, go make disciples. It was about God's promise to gather the nations together. The world of the first century was just as ethnically diverse as our own, and the church could have easily split along those ethnic lines, but they refused to. For them, there was no room in the gospel for anything like the homogenous unit principle. The Apostle Paul started many of the churches throughout the Roman world, and in Ephesians chapter 3, he describes how this diversity was the display of the wisdom of God. And Paul was passionate that this would be visible in every single local church. By my count, over 30% of the Apostle Paul's writings in the Bible address these issues of the gathering of the nations and cultural diversity. So this is something that we'll have to deal with and address over and over again. In gathering the nations together, God was promising to do what the nations have been unable to do since the time of Abraham. I know there are many complex reasons why churches have been segregated over the years, but we have to understand that this is not God's ultimate will. It's a cop-out to throw our hands up and say, there are Christians of all races around the world, so mission accomplished, and not embrace diversity in our local context. If a church is not trying to reach out to all the people groups of its diverse community, then it is not the reflection of the gospel that it should be. I talk about this and many topics like it in my books. You can buy them online. The link is in the description. Please subscribe and hit the notification bell so you'll be notified when the next video is released. But for now, that's another... All right. Another tool for your toolbox. That's what I... I'm sorry, I skipped that. Uh, this is a this is a huge deal in the world. We really are unique, uh, and, and it's been watered down in the religious world, just as Michael shared. You know, so, some people uh, think that as long as we believe in the same God, that you know, hey, we're all okay. We can do it in different ways, and we can be varied. But 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 to have different this attitude of all roads lead to heaven, that's just not true. It's not biblically accurate. It's not what Jesus said. It's not what, it's not what, it's nowhere in the Bible is that found. In fact, what it says is that it's only the narrow road. It's the narrow road, and few will find it in Matthew chapter 7. It's only that way. And, and, and there was, you know, Jesus, there was no one more, no one more um, 
uh, exclusive in the scriptures than Jesus. And he was he was hard line. Go and study Luke Luke nine and Luke eleven and Luke uh, fourteen and and see what his expectation is. And he lays it out. He tells them this is how it is. And then he goes. And the ones that want to follow him go with him. And those that don't stay back. The ones that want to be united go and follow. He he invited all people just as today. All are welcome. We leave no one out. But it has to be done in Jesus' way. Not our own, according to our opinion, not according to your cultural background, not according to your feelings. Or, oh man, life has been hard these last ten years, so therefore I'm going to be less involved, less committed in my, in my discipleship. No, that's not how God works. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to agree in every little thing. We're not talking about uniformity. We're talking about unity. There's a big difference between those two. Uniformity is why the military wears the same clothes. It's important that they all be going in the same direction, and they practice that. And I remember boot camp, and you had to go and march, and march, and march. And it was it was Orlando, Florida. It was you know early summer, and you're on the. There's actually a big, huge. It looks like a like a couple basketball courts or football fields of cement, and that was the marching ground, and uh, the grinder. That's right. I forgot that's what it was called. The grinder. You had to go out on the grinder, and you had to learn to march. And we got pretty good at it, uh, but but the whole it wasn't so you could march well. It's so you learned to work well with people. And and it was I remember uh, I remember in boot camp I, I just thought of this because uh, in in boot camp you had uh, days you had about eight weeks or ten weeks in boot camp and thirteen weeks that was the core he was Marine Corps doesn't count uh, I'm kidding that's why that's why he's not in the Marines anymore and and he's old but um, the but but in but in boot camp in the Navy. You had you had weeks and there was like week one day one that was the beginning and it, it was one two one two kind of went like that, but on one five day one five day was the big day, and that was Bill remembers one five day because one five day is whenever your company got visited by all of the company commanders in the area, and that meant you usually just had two or so uh, one senior and one junior enlisted. And they were the company commanders. And they could make you do push-ups or whatever. But this day was a special day. And they brought in extra company commanders. And they broke you up in your sections. And they did what they called cycled you. And cycled you is basically you had to do exercises for about three hours. And they tore the place apart. All the racks got moved uh, to the walls. All the, you know, the clothes got thrown everywhere. And, and it was a mess. The point was to get you to work together. And at the end of it, they came through and, and they carried, they played uh, Lee Greenwood, I'm proud to be an American, and they, they carried an, a, a, an American flag through the barracks. And it was actually, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it was one of the most unifying times I can have, I have memory of in the Navy. Because I fought most of the other times with people, but that day, we were one. We were all suffering together, we were struggling together, and, and then that was, it was 
it was very, it very much brought us together. What's the point in all this? It, it, that's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for uniformity. We're looking for unity. And, 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 and there's a big difference between uniformity and unity. You can dress the same and walk the same and talk the same and still not be united. We have different ideas. We have different thoughts. We think different politically. We think different uh, in the way we dress, the way we look. And that's okay. But when it comes to biblical truth, there can be no difference. That's where unity is vital. When I say vital, it is life-threatening if you're not united. The expectation of discipleship, dying to yourself, living for others, living for Christ above yourself, the standard of dating and purity, not being yoked with a believer who is and is not a Christian. Only those living as followers of Jesus are considered Christians in the Bible, and yet everybody they say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but their lives look everything. That was me before I actually found Christ. I was very religious. I went to church and boot camp. I went to, went to Sunday service, and they always sang this song. It was a Bette Midler song, and I don't remember the name of it, but it was very emotional, and I cried every Sunday. I called my mama, and I'd call, and I'd cry every Sunday. So I went to church, and it was good, but I was no different. I was the guy cursing at the company because they weren't, being quiet so I could pray. That was me. That's, that's, that's how messed up I was. And I didn't understand to follow Jesus. But what is, what is your conviction about who is and is not a Christian? How about your conviction about righteousness and, and holiness and really living a set-apart life according to God's Word and pursuing that? in every area of life. When it comes to being in the battle for Jesus, we need to be mirror images of each other. That people can't tell where one begins and the other ends. It just doesn't, it doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus and what He says. Now Satan is trying to divide us. And he's going to come after us in every way imaginable. He's going to come after our marriages. For those of us who are married, Genesis 1, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So whenever, God, whenever a man and a woman are married in a unified, godly marriage, what, do, what, does the world, what is the world meant to see? They're meant to see God. Now you understand why Satan comes after marriage the way he does. That's why you fight over money. Because Satan wants to divide you over things that don't mean anything. In the big scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Satan is coming after us. And he's going to do whatever necessary to divide our marriages. Married couples, let me challenge you to get help from another married couple that you trust as a marriage better than yours and ask for help. If you're fighting and bickering every day, you need help. That's not normal. And you're not representing God to the world. I'm so grateful that we have people available to us 
so many of you that have met, that if I need it, man, I can call. I, bro, me and my wife, we got issues. And I've made that call before, by the way. I have sent a text. Please call my wife. I have sent that text. Not, not, not always because she's doing something wrong, but why'd y'all assume that? My wife's amazing. I need help. Call my wife. That, how, that was, but because what I'm saying isn't working. And then they say the exact same thing, and they're revolutionary and amazing. Don't know how that works, but God comes after marriage. Get help. Get help. So that people, when they do see you, they can see God. God comes after our family. God, God comes after our kids. And it comes through every means necessary, every electronic means necessary. Access to the Internet is in, You can do everything possible, and I have done it. Everything possible to block Internet access on a, other than turning it off. There, there's, I don't know how it works. Turning Wi-Fi off, yes, that works. But you've got to be diligent, parents, because Satan's coming after your family. And the Internet's part of that. Now, the Internet's for good, too. Many of you are here because you found us on the Internet, and I'm glad you are. I praise God for the Internet, but I also know Satan's in it, and he's using it to his advantage to convince us that what we're doing is wrong, to divide us, to make us question, to whatever it might be. Satan's coming after our kids. Satan's coming after your friendships. Our friendships are meant to be those that are encouraging each other, loving one another. John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We, is this your friendship in the church? Or have you allowed self to get in the way? Because that's what Satan comes after as well. He, went, he wants us to be by ourselves. And it is the Western way. It is the way that we are encouraged. Be an individual. Be on your own. You're okay. You're a self-made man or woman. But let me tell you, there's, it's hard to be united when you're by yourself. United as one is not what he meant. United between two or more, that's what he's talking about. But there's a, there's a culture of individualism that, that I'm afraid can easily creep into the church. And if you've caught on to this individualism, like, I don't have to. No, you're right. You don't have to. But what does the Bible say? I'm not, I'm not concerned about your opinion. What does the Bible say? Yes, you have freedom. We live in a country. You are free to do whatever you like within the law. But that's not but but we are also under the the, the lordship of Jesus. If you're calling yourself a disciple, that's what you committed to. Following Jesus like that. And that's the kind of relationships we need to have with each other that we are sharpening and not afraid to speak up. Not afraid to say, I love you so much that I'm going to say something that might cost our friendship. And in the world, it would cost us friendship. 
But in Christ, you go back to that person and say, thank you so much for what you said. That conversation changed my life. I'm always amazed whenever, you know, whenever I've ever, I don't remember most conversations I've had in the past. Sometimes I have people come up to me and say, you, you talked about this 12 years ago. And I'm like, I'm sorry, who are you? Uh, and I'm getting old, you know, I'm nearing 50 now. And they'll, they'll talk about this conversation. And I must have had great insight. I don't remember any of it, but praise God it helped you. And, and maybe, but, but, but they were, I remember, we were, we were over in Virginia Beach just a few weeks ago at the end of the year. And, and we drove by Haynes Furniture Store. You might think, what's the big deal, Haynes Furniture Store? I said, this is the spot. My first discipling time after I became a Christian in 1996, I was in the car with a brother named Steve Cannon, who's an evangelist and an elder in Indianapolis now. And he was driving down the road with me. He said, Corey, you need to, you need to not be so, you are very selfish in a fellowship. He said, you talk about your, your, and I had a lot going on in life, and people would say, how are you doing? And I would go, Bleh, and tell them everything going on in my life in that moment. And what they really needed to hear is, you know, life's tough. How are you? I had to learn that skill. Because I was that guy that people would probably look at, oh, wait, I'm not asking him how he's doing. I'm going to walk away. And Steve said, you've got to not be so selfish. You don't want people turning away from you. And then we went to Haynes Furniture, and he won a couch, and I won some, ta- some tables in that Haynes Furniture. It just was one of those moments. That was, I couldn't remember a conversation from 12 years ago, but I can remember that. That was 24 years ago. Because it's a life turning. It's that those changing events. That this brother who cared so much, are you going to be that to somebody else? Are you going to invite that in your life? That was hard to hear, but he was spot on correct. And I knew what he meant. we got to put away individualism. Satan wants to destroy our love for one another. He doesn't care how it happens. He just gets the ball rolling in that direction. That's why I appreciate so much the elders... The letter they read, if you weren't here on Wednesday, uh, we'll make sure that's available to you. It basically is telling us that it's not a, the political and all this stuff going on in the world today. It is not to be brought into the church. We're not to post it on social media and offer our opinion on it because it divides us. It tears down. It doesn't build up. And we're here to build each other up and encourage each other. And if you weren't here to hear about it, you should come to midweek and hear about it next time. You know. Just a little midweek plug for everybody. But what is affected most when there's not unity? Go back to our text. In verse, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I I am in you, may they be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In verse 23, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What's, what, why, does, why does our unity matter so much? You think it's because I just want you to get along? I do want you to get along. But it's because if we are not being one, the world's ability to come to faith and Jesus as the Messiah is impacted. 
your unity makes that much difference. I don't understand it all, but I know what I've seen. I know the unity I saw when I showed up to church in May of 1996, and I walked in there, and perfect strangers greeted me with a hug, and they took my little girl who was one and a half at that time, and they helped me get her into children's ministry. And then they came, and I sat in the back row, and some guy came up and said, hey, are you Corey? And I said, yes, I am. And they took me up to the front row, and they plopped me down there, and I've never sang so loud. My ears were popping because I was singing so loud. And then after church, they said, hey, you want to come and join us for lunch? We're going to go over to Waterside. And they put up with my little girl who, quite honestly, she's not here. She was a little bit of a brat at that time. She, 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 had some, she needed some help, and she got some help. But that, that day, they just were there for me. And I thought, this is it. I don't know about anything else, but I know this is the place that God wants me. And that's what God desires. And, and, it, and it helped me to come to faith. They then showed me the scriptures and my heart was wide open. It all made sense. What I was doing before didn't make any sense at all. But all the puzzle pieces came together when they shared the scriptures with me. And that's the effect of your unity with each other. That's the difference it makes. If you aren't unified, then people will come in, they'll see us, and they'll say, man, they got issues, and I got to go. I'll find another place. And if you're visiting with us, just so you know, it's not that we have issues in the church. This is just the text we're on today. All right? this is, we're going through the book of John, and this is the one. You may be sitting here thinking, man, they got some major problems. He's spending half an hour or more talking about unity, and the communion had to do with unity, too, and made us sit next to each other. That, no, it's not that. It just is... It just is what the text says. It's Jesus' request. I hope if you're visiting with us, you feel that unity today. And if you don't, I'd like to know about it because I'd like to know how we can help and who I might need to help. We can help each other because we want people to feel that. It begins with those of us following Jesus right here in this room today. I am beyond grateful for the relationships we get to have with one another. But I also know that we have issues sometimes. And you have issues with each other sometimes. And, and, and we see, biblically, we're actually quite in line with many of the churches of the New Testament. Because almost every letter that Paul wrote had something to do with unity. There was something going on. It started in Acts and, and went on from there. Because when you get fallible human beings together, we mess up relationships. But in Christ, we can be one. There's one more thing that our unity affects, though. And I know I've missed this in this text for 24 years until last week. Go back to John 17 in verse 23. I read through it, and maybe you caught it, maybe you didn't. But it says in verse 23, May they be brought to complete unity, so let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What does our unity affect? It affects people's ability to understand that God loves everyone 
the way he loves you. Your unity matters that much. Not just people's ability to understand the Messiah, ability for them to accept God loves them even as he loved Jesus. That that's how special God's love is. We don't, we don't get love light, love less. Jesus love here, your love there, and every time you sin, your love down here. No, it doesn't work that way. God is the Father of all. And just as you as a parent should love all of your children equally, God loves all equally and wants to call all men to Him. And that's why Jesus went through what He did. And that love culminated on the cross. In Romans 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 5, 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us in Romans 8, 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor, nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to work out whatever our issues might be so that people can understand Jesus as the Messiah and so that they can understand the love of God. And whatever your issue might be, I actually considered doing something public today and having you come up as, you know, if you had an issue, you come up here and you pray with that person. And I want to challenge you. We're not going to do that here today because I thought, I'm not sure how to do that. I've never done that before. Uh, but I want to challenge you today. Do not leave this building until at the very least you tap that person and say, Let's, can we meet up? Can we talk? Can we talk now? If you have time, talk now. We've got 30 rooms in this building. Go and have a private conversation. If you need help, call one of us. We'll be here. I'll be around. Kurt's here. Ruth, there's many of you can handle these conversations. Please, get help. Because it makes a difference. God blessed us in ways that I never could have imagined last year, and I believe it's because we are quite united. But I also know that Satan is crafty. He's going to take whatever means necessary to tear us apart. And if there is an issue that you have with your brother or sister in this, in this room, please, I beg you to go to them in love, in humility, not with an attitude, I gotta talk to you. You messed me. You know, don't don't do that. Don't do that. That is not gonna win anybody. All right. Go in humility. You're convicted today about this. Go and help. Go and talk to them. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, what in the world is all this? And you have not yet felt this kind of unity. You just have lived this independent life. You're just doing your own thing. Let me encourage you to study the Bible with someone who brought you and encourage you that you actually can experience this same unity that we get a chance to experience every day as followers of Jesus. It is an astounding thing that can only be explained by the love of Christ. And I pray that all of us, as we desire holiness and we desire truth and we desire all that we do in Christ, the mission of Jesus, all these things that we get to have, without unity, they're nothing. And they'll never work. And I pray that we can ourselves live in unity each and every day. Let's